The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. To access inner resources to create the most productive, loving, and joyful life, each of us needs to awaken to explore in depth who we really are. Welcome to Explorations in Consciousness with Dr. Joe. Today, we'll learn what our past lives can tell us about our present life and understand how our beliefs create our reality. Now, here is Dr. Joe Mancini. Good morning, everyone. I'm Dr. Joe Mancini, your host for Explorations in Consciousness with Dr. Joe. I am a certified clinical hypnotherapist and spiritual counselor in private practice in Maryland. I want to say first a few words about the overall focus of the show for those who are new listeners. In various ways on this show, in every episode, we will examine how to access inner resources to create the most productive, loving, and joyful life. I can't think of a greater and more awesome overall goal for all of our lives. To accomplish that goal, in my mind, each of us needs to awaken, to explore in depth who each of us really is to recognize oneself as a multidimensional being made of God stuff, and to accept responsibility for being the co-creator with all that is of every bit of one's reality. This series of 13 episodes that began on August 13th will focus on what past lives can tell us about who we really are. My guests and I will examine several related topics, such as the true nature of past lives, soul mission and karma, the multidimensional self, reincarnating soul groups, how to change past lives and soul contracts, and much, much more. A further aid to all this exploration will be the concepts about past lives and other metaphysical matters that were voiced by Seth, that energy personality essence channeled by Jane Roberts from 1963 to her passing over in 1984. Rich Kendall, one of the so-called New York boys who attended Jane's ESP, ESP classes in the early 70s, shared with us at the beginning of the series some of Seth's ideas about past lives and also what Seth said about a couple of Rich's own past lives. You can ac access that show and others by going to the episode directory on my Voice America homepage. Now, some people do wonder if we have really lived before. Where's the proof, they ask? Well, probably the best evidence that we have lived before comes, surprisingly for many, in the study of children's past lives. Thus, I am very happy to have as my guest for today, Carol Bowman, author of Children's Past Lives, How Past Life Memories Affect Your Child, and Return from Heaven, Beloved Relatives Reincarnated Within Your Family. Both books are available through Amazon.com. Good morning, Carol, and welcome to the show. Thanks for the nice welcome, Joe. The first question I'd like to ask you is how you got involved with this. I know there was a past life regression that you uh, underwent uh, long before you even uh, had your kids 
uh, talk about these past lives. Is that correct? Uh, it was a year before, actually. Um, th- I feel this whole journey has been so well orchestrated as to timing. So I did my first past life regression in 1987 because... Um, Throughout most of the 80s, I had chronic lung problems. I was very sick, and I had two small children at the time, and it was a source of great concern because I was, towards about 1986 or 1987, I really didn't think I would make it through another winter. I'd had pneumonia a couple of times, pleurisy, developed into asthma, Oh, and my I gosh. Had, uh, yeah, it was really bad. Oh, gosh. And it kept getting worse. So I was One scared. thing on top of another. Yeah, it was. And it, it, and if for anyone who's experienced any kind of um, bronchial problems or pneumonia, asthma, pleurisy, you know how painful it is. Every breath is painful. Mm-hmm. So um, in the height of my illness, I was lying in bed. Um, my children were at their grandparents because I couldn't even take care of them at that point. So we sent them up to the grandparents for two weeks. And it was either that or go to the hospital. And um, all of a sudden I had this vision, and it was very vivid. Um, I was awake, and I saw myself as a male in, in kind of a long white gown lying in bed, and I was coughing up blood. And I oh just knew from this vision that I was this man dying of consumption. And I saw a woman in kind of 19th century style clothing sitting next to me and very upset. And I knew I was dying. And then in a flash, I saw a vision from the perspective of being above, looking down at this beautiful park with mausoleums. And it was a cemetery. And I saw this funeral procession with a horse-drawn... Uh, carriage, and I knew I was looking at my own funeral, and I don't know how I knew, but I just knew. And as I snapped out of this vision, my thought was, oh my gosh, I'm going to die again soon. I saw this man look mm-hmm. to be about the same age I was at that time in my mid-30s, and I, I thought, okay, maybe this is some kind of past life memory, but I didn't know what to do with it. So I sent my husband to the library to get books on past <laughs> life regression, and at that mm-hmm. time there weren't too many. Mm-hmm. And as luck would have it, within a few weeks, um, or a few months rather, a friend, we were living in Asheville, North Carolina at the time, a friend heard about this hypnotherapist that was passing through Asheville doing past life regression, and I didn't even know what it was, but I said, well, I'm going to try this because I'm desperate. So in one two-hour session, I saw two very uh, emotional lifetimes, one in which I died in the 19th century as that man, I died of consumption, and um, we processed some of the issues around that life and death. And then I jumped into this other life where I was in a woman in World War II, and I believe I was in Vienna, and I was taken away. I was Jewish. I was taken away with my two children. My husband had disappeared. And I saw all this very vividly, and I was, um, got very, very emotional. I started crying, weeping. And I wow. saw myself dying in a gas chamber without oh my, my children. Gosh. And um, I, the therapist was well-trained. He had been doing, his name is Norman Ng. He is from Florida. He had been doing past life regression therapy for quite a while. And he helped me process the, the death and, you know, the fact that I had never grieved for everyone I lost in that lifetime. And... I thought, well, that's interesting. It makes a lot of sense. It explains a lot about my present life, but I didn't know what 
effect that would have on me later. And as it turned out, I didn't get sick that winter for the first time in years. Fantastic. And my medical doctor was so amazed that we invited Norman back up to Asheville and he regressed about 10 of my friends. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. So it sounds like you're grieving for those past lives. Right. Uh, Remove the need to re-experience that. Yeah, it was just a physical reminder, in a sense. Mm-hmm. The lung problems were just the residuals from for, from first the the consumption and then inhaling the gas. You know, there was physical right, trauma exactly. related to the emotional trauma. So processing the emotional trauma helped me release the physical trauma, and I got it. And I that was, like, one of the most amazing experiences I ever had. And I started... Um, researching past life therapy and as i said there wasn't too much written at that time and it was interesting because within that year after i had my first regression both of my kids developed phobias and i'll talk about my son because i don't have time to talk about both of them okay but my son developed a phobia of loud booming sounds the following fourth of july when we were at the 4th of July celebration, as soon as the big fireworks started, he became absolutely hysterical. Couldn't calm him down, couldn't understand what had happened because he was, I was a stay-at-home mother. I knew what he had been exposed to, and I, I just couldn't account for it. So a few weeks after that, we were in an indoor swimming pool, and whenever anyone went on the diving board, there was this big booming sound. And again, he became hysterical. And he pulled me out of the building, and I I said to Chase, my son's name, he was five at the time, I said, you know, is it the sounds that scare you? And he said, yes. And I just, I didn't know what to do with that. (laughs) So Uh Norman came to work with my friends um, about a month later, and uh, my kids loved Norman. He was a really gentle soul, really sweet. And we were sitting around the kitchen table, my daughter was... Um, eight and a half at the time, and my son was five. And I, I didn't even think in terms of past life. I was just thinking Chase was due to start kindergarten, and I thought, oh, I hope he doesn't get triggered at school. You know, they're going to call me with this hysterical kid. So I asked Norman if he could just give Chase some post-hypnotic suggestion that the next time he was exposed to loud booming sounds, he wouldn't freak out. Uh-huh. So um, I absolutely had no idea what how my life was going to change and how his life was going to change in the next 15 minutes. But he said to Chase, who is just a little five-year-old, sit on your mother's lap, close your eyes, and just tell me what you see when you hear the loud noises that frighten you. And immediately I could see Chase's eyelids flickering, you know, as if he were getting some images. And he said, I'm a man. I'm a soldier. I'm crouching behind a rock. I have a, a gun. It's a long gun with a sword at the end. And, you know, I had no idea what was going on at that point. I was thinking, wait a minute, could this be some Sesame Street episode or something? (laughs) He didn't even own a toy gun. He never played war games, didn't even own Uh a toy gun. And he went on to say um, he was confused. He was speaking in first person. Uh, You know, I'm confused. I don't know who I'm shooting at. There's smoke everywhere. I'm really scared. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, This this is going getting even stranger, and he went on to say, um, all of a sudden I'm hit on my wrist, and he clutched his left wrist, and he said, I'm shot. He said, then I black out, and I wake up, and I'm in a hospital, but it's not like a regular hospital. It's just these poles in the ground with some material covering it, 
and I'm on a bed, but it's not like a regular bed. It's a hard bench. And um, he said, they wrap my wrist, and they tell me I have to go back into battle. I don't want to go. I don't want to be there. I miss my wife and children. And at that moment, you know, all the hairs on my body were on <laughs> end. And I got goose- <laughs> it was one of those goosebumps moments. Right. And I realized this, this has got to be a past life because he couldn't make this stuff up. It's nothing he's ever seen before. So Norman, who already figured out Chase was bringing up some past life material, said to him, look, to Chase in very simple language, because he was talking to a five-year-old, we live many different lifetimes on Earth, and we're like actors in a play. We play out these different roles. Sometimes we're a soldier, and as a soldier, sometimes we have to kill other people, or sometimes we are killed, but there's no blame. We're just there learning what it's like to be human. I thought, well, I don't know whether Chase would understand that, but I could feel he was sitting on my lap. I could feel his body relaxing. And uh, Norman proceeded, he said, well, then what happens, Chase? And he said, well, I have to go back into battle. I see this cannon being pulled on a wagon by a horse, and I see chickens on the road. They make me go behind the cannon. And all of a sudden, he opened his eyes, hopped off my lap, grabbed a cookie from the table, and went to play with his Legos. (laughs) And the upshot of this 15-minute or so recollection was that not only did his fear of loud noises go away, and he asked for his tr- first drum set after that, and he's been making loud noises ever since. Um, he, I was kind of in shock when this was happening, and my nine-year-old daughter, Sarah, said, Mom, that place where Chase was shot in his wrist is where he's had his eczema. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't put that together, but ever since Chase had been a baby, he had a severe and chronic eczema on that spot on his wrist where he said he had been shot, and it had not responded to any medical treatment, and we tried everything. And within a few days, the eczema went away completely. That... So he had an emotional healing, he had a physical healing from that 10 or 15-minute recollection. That is absolutely amazing. And I want to remind my listeners that Chase was five years old. Right. And, and some of these revelations come when the child is just able to talk around two or so. But let me ask you a question. Did you, from your own experience with a past life, your own past life, mm-hmm. did you after that believe that past lives existed? Or were you still somewhat doubtful and thought maybe that was a you know, a metaphor that your subconscious created? No, because I had an experience when I was about 19 or 20 in college where I just had this kind of cosmic consciousness experience where I realized a part of me that will never die. Mm-hmm. So I had always been a believer, but it was more in, a, in an abstract way. And until yeah. I had my first regression, I didn't see how personal it was and how emotional it was and what we carried forward. You know, and that, that, yeah. you know it, it became very personal. So when when Chase and my daughter had their memories, Norman actually asked her about, she had a phobia of fires, and she went through the same process. In about 10 minutes, she processed it, and her phobia went away. Um, So when I I guess I was primed and ready when when Chase went through his memory and he had the physical healing and the emotional healing. Um, I knew how we carried over feelings, thoughts, and even physical symptoms from previous lives. I think the shocker for me was, here was this five-year-old kid, and all we said was, tell us what you see, 
and bam, he was there. He and was it, back seemed, in a past it seemed life. like he had a sophistication uh, of you know the way he conceptualized what was going on, and then all of a sudden, and this is what you uh, remark about quite often in your books about how there's a, a sudden change back to a five-year-old's consciousness. Right, right. Which much, right. must be almost as startling as when you see it um, or when you uh, hear that he's starting to speak almost like an adult. Right. It wasn't really that he was speaking like an adult. It was, well, in a sense it was. His voice didn't change, but his perspective did. It's right. almost like they slip into that other state of consciousness and I've, I've, you know, I've, at this point, I've um, reviewed, researched hundreds of cases. You know, people from all over the world have sent me their stories of their children's past life memories. And I have a forum on the Internet Reincarnation Forum where people post their, their cases. Um, and I found that even with a two- or three-year-old, there's this moment where they have this abstracted look on their face. They're kind of looking off into the distance, and they start talking about their previous lives, and then they snap back to their two- or three-year-old self. And sometimes the language is a little beyond their age, but sometimes they're trying to express it in their two- or three-year-old vocabulary. But sometimes they'll say words that the parents know. Wait a minute, they can't know that word. (laughs) You know, it's it's something beyond their, their present life experience. And with the children, I found that basically we're souls. We're here to heal. We're here to grow. And these memories emerge spontaneously in very young children because the soul wants to heal. A lot of the memories the children remember or that we recognize are the traumatic ones because they talk about the way they died, and it's usually carrying a lot of negative emotion. You know, they're very sad or they're scared, or in Chase's case, he had a phobia relating to the way he died because he died on a battlefield, and the last sound he had was probably this big boom of a cannon, which was triggered by the sound of the fireworks. Okay, Carol, we're going to... I hate to to stop you, but we have to take a break. You are listening to Explorations in Consciousness with Dr. Joe. I'm Dr. Joe Mancini, and we'll be right back with more from my guest, Carol Bowman, and Children's Past Lives. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you thought that there may be more to your life than you know? Maybe you're puzzled by coincidences that seem to happen out of nowhere. Or possibly you have a sense of deja vu in a place you have never been before. What about those dreams that seem to materialize right before your eyes? or bring startling, clear images of loved ones who have passed over. These are only a few of the great many topics that you can find much more about by having a hypnotherapeutic session with Dr. Joe Mancini. Dr. Joe is a clinical hypnotherapist certified by many national and international hypnosis organizations specializing in spiritual hypnotherapy. Dr. Joe can help you discover much more of who you really are and why you came here this time around. Joe's clients repeatedly emphasize his vast spiritual knowledge, amazing skills, and great heart. He establishes a safe, caring environment in which individuals feel free to be all that they are. Call Joe at 301-526-2043 or reach him by email at soulserver at to find out more. 
That's 301-526-2043. Or by email at soul, S-R-V-R, at E-R-O-L-S dot com. Be visionary. Be extraordinary. Be the change. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You are listening to Explorations in Consciousness with Dr. Joe. To reach Dr. Joe Mancini or his guest, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to soulserver at erols.com. That's soul, S-R-V-R, at erols, E-R-O-L-S, dot com. Now, back to Explorations in Consciousness. Welcome back, everyone. This is Joe Mancini hosting Explorations in Consciousness with Dr. Joe. We're talking with my guest, Carol Bowman, about children's past lives. So, Carol, what I want to ask you right now is how you came to be professionally involved with uh, children's past lives. Well... I just began researching after my children had their experiences, and this was pre-internet days, and um, it was starting in my local community, asking other parents, and then I put an ad in the um, Edgar Casey Foundation magazine, and you know, it was kind of primitive at that point to try to get cases. There weren't too many um, ways to do that, but I started collecting cases, and I started seeing patterns in the cases. And I also found the work of Dr. Ian Stevenson from the University of Virginia, who had been documenting cases of children's spontaneous past life recall from since the early 60s. And by the time I started getting his books, um, he had documented about 2,700 cases and thoroughly documented. And in maybe about seven or 800 of them, he was able to, um, the children would, the the child he was investigating was was able to give enough specific detail, enough information that they could verify who the child had been in a previous life. And he found that there was a lot of correspondence between the the present child and the past life person, and um, the past life personality, as he called it. And he also found that quite often children... And he worked with children all over the world, so this was a cross-cultural survey um, that children in every culture had these memories regardless of the parents' beliefs, and that children had these memories usually until about the age of five to seven, and um, children often remembered dying traumatically, and those who died traumatically often had phobias relating to the way they died in a previous life. For example, in Chase's case, he had a phobia of loud booming sounds, which related to his death on a battlefield. What I didn't mention is, um, after he had that little remembering session with, um, I'm not even going to call it regression, although it was a regression of sorts, after he had that experience, he he brought up the memory spontaneously a few times, so we got more information. But uh, Dr. Stevenson found that phobias relating to past lives are common. 
And um, he found sometimes children had behaviors relating to the person they were before, and they had very specific memories about the previous life. So they made statements about the previous life, which many of which he was able to confirm or verify. So um, he offered quite a body of evidence for the authenticity of these memories. And, and which, I want to just interject something uh, yeah. and tell me if I'm correct. Um, his research was very rigorous, was it not? Yeah. He, he rejected oh. a lot of cases that didn't have what he would call enough evidence according to certain criteria. Right, exactly. And he was being judged by his scientific peers, so he was very careful to um, not include any cases that could be um, invalid or disproved by skeptics. You know, he was under a lot of uh, scrutiny, so he only published the best cases. Um, But in all of my reading of Dr. Stevenson's work, he never mentioned any child having any kind of healing from remembering. Mm -hmm. And I was really puzzled. You know, how could this be? He's investigated all these cases. Didn't he notice that after a while the phobias would go away after the child talked about the memory? Or, you know, if they had a physical symptom relating to a previous life injury or fatal wound, you know, didn't, did the symptom go into remission? And there was nothing about healing. It was just about providing empirical evidence and checking the facts, which was fabulous. And he also, in 97, I think it was, came out with Reincarnation in Biology, which is like 2,200 pages of cases in which um, uh the, the, they could verify who the child was in a previous life and found that the present child would have birthmarks or birth defects relating to fatal injuries or disease on, on the previous personality so that he provided physical evidence right. for carryover of right. you know, symptoms or physical traits. So, you know, it, it got very deep once it got into the physical so um, in my first book came out in 97, and I got an email from this man by the name of Dr. Jim Tucker. Who He wrote me this email. He said, I'm the wife of Chris Rand, who had been my friend in Asheville, and she had moved out of Asheville and met Jim and married him. And he said, I'm also um, Dr. Ian Stevenson's colleague, and I just read your book, and I've been investigating with Dr. Stevenson. And I was like, oh, this is this is too crazy. The synchronicity is too exactly. Much I'd always wanted to meet Ian Stevenson, but I thought he'd never meet with me. I, I had no credentials at the time. I was just a a mother doing this research, and I ended up um, presenting some of my best cases to him and Jim, so that I could join them on investigations to see how he did investigations. And in my first meeting with him. Almost the first question I asked is, Dr. Stevenson, have you seen any evidence that these memories can actually heal a child? And he he got a little upset, and he said, absolutely not. There's no way to prove it. And I said, mm-hmm. yeah, well, it happened with both of my children. I see it happening with other children. And he completely dismissed that aspect of it. And that was even more puzzling to me because I was finding more and more evidence that these memories could be healing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I could see that the twains would never meet on that one. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. 
And I totally respected what Dr. Stevenson did because he was providing a type of evidence that I couldn't provide because in the American cases that I was investigating, I, I didn't have a budget to travel anywhere. Um, you know, and he, he was funded and he went to Asia and he went into cultures where they believed in reincarnation and the memories of those children were much more detailed. But the cases that I was getting, seldom did names come up or places. It was more about the emotions and more about what they remembered, and it was nonspecific. But I was learning to look at these cases to find the value in them, and the value was that these were um, opportunities for healing the child of past life trauma. It had worked with my son, with my daughter. I was finding it was working with other people. So I realized I was on a different path. And, right, and, and actually, Dr. Stevenson's rejection of what you had offered just opened the door for a path for you. In a sense, it did. And um, I'm kind of an obstinate, willful person. <laughs> and, you know, it, it just kind of <laughs> made me more intent on... Exactly. You know, I, well, you know, okay, he rejects it. Well, I'm, you know, I'm going to keep going on this because I know it's real. I know it's true. And, and I, I realized this is my path. Exactly. You know, I was a mother who experienced this. Dr. Stevenson was a scientist. He was looking at empirical evidence. He didn't have children of his own. He'd never really experienced it firsthand. You know, the shock of it. <laughs> um, so so I, I want to um, move you to telling us, yeah. uh, especially the parents who are listening, mm-hmm. uh, what to look for in their children's accounts um, to determine that, you know, what they're saying may be pa- evidence of past lives. Mm-hmm. And, and also how to handle Okay. That sort of thing. Okay. And I go into much detail in my first book, Children's Past Lives, and how to do this. But in summary, um, there's some indications that this is not fantasy. And it's usually children first speak of past life memories at a very young age, two, three, or four. Although not always. It can come up a little later. But um, they will make statements that are, you know, that are totally outside the range of experience. And, you know, sometimes, as I already mentioned, they'll use vocabulary that you know they haven't learned in their two or three years. You know, it just Mm -hmm. takes you by surprise. How would they know that? Or talk about things they couldn't possibly know about um, being on a ship or being piloting an airplane and something like that. Um, And not only does this manifest as statements the child makes, but sometimes... They have phobias or nightmares or night terrors. In some, of, in, in some cases, um, they will talk about later as they develop language skills, they might say they might wake up screaming five times a week, but then all of a sudden they start talking about their plane crashing. So there's sometimes a correlation you can make between a phobia or a nightmare and a past life. Um, sometimes they will show uh, talents or abilities that they haven't learned in their two or three years. You know, we call it a precocious ability or an unlearned skill. So it comes up through behaviors. It can come up through statements. It can come up through something like separation anxiety. You know, they're terrified if you leave the room. You know, you know there's something going on there if you have a stable relationship. 
Um, so my suggestion to parents is just be very open-minded, kind of be a detective. You know, what have they said? Does it t- could it be possibly be a past life memory? Because when they talk about these memories, um, it's almost like they snap into this other reality for a moment, and they're very serious, very matter-of-fact, not like the kind of lilting, sing-songy tone that they might use when talking about a fantasy. Um, so the best thing you can do is listen to them, encourage them to talk about it, discern if there's any any way you can help them process the memory. If they talk about dying before, reassure them that, well, ask them what happens after they died. And sometimes you'll be surprised. They'll talk about the afterlife. Right, yeah. Or sometimes so they'll say, what well, kind of, well... I'm sorry, go ahead. Or sometimes they'll say, well... Um, I went to heaven, and these are children who may have never heard the word heaven before, and they'll say, and I chose you, or I came back to you, and I became a baby again. Mm-hmm. And in that way, sometimes they they get the sense that, oh, this is another life. Or sometimes you have to tell them, well, that was a different life. You're now in a new life. And that can have a pretty immediate and magical effect on the child to ground them in this reality, because a part of their consciousness is still stuck in the past at that age. They really can't tell I, I the would, difference. Okay. I would think that the tone with which the parent addresses the child's revelations is critically important. It is. Could you say more about that? Yeah, you never want to dismiss what they're saying. You know, listen, okay. ask open-ended questions, and, you know, enter the reality and see, you know, you'll be able to tell if it's a fantasy or not. So if it, if you sense it is a past life memory, just have them talk about it, ask questions, see how much information you can get. And it, sometimes a ch- if you approach them and say, "Well, tell me about when you were a farmer before, and you were in the you the tractor rolled over," they they might not want to talk about it. But when it's coming up spontaneously, there's your opportunity. Sometimes you can elicit responses from them if you ask. Sometimes they'll just shut down and. It only come. They'll only talk about it if they're they're um, they feel like it. And it's interesting because you never know when that can happen or will happen. And there seems to be like a from what you've written, there seems to be a very small window, not not many minutes. Uh, And so you've really got to. You know, parents who are listening to this have got to be really prepared to to switch themselves into a different mode in order to um, listen to these children. Because once they stop and the faraway look goes away, Mm -hmm. um, there's no getting them back until they're ready. Right. And sometimes a child will make one remark when they're two or three. Sometimes they'll talk about it for several years, and and as they as the as they develop better language skills or the, they're ba- better able to articulate what they're feeling and experiencing, more of the memory will come up and more of the emotion. And you have to be ready for maybe the child is going to have some ca- emotional catharsis and it might look scary to you. They might cry or thrash around. This is rare, but it happens. Um, they might get very upset and just be with them and just let them talk them through it. Just let them express the memory because a lot of what they need to do is release that emotion that they carried into this life. And it might so, be through crying or it might be through just like it seems like a little tantrum that they have. But it's okay 
just so so dealing with a child who's making such revelations requires that the the parent actually grow emotionally and spiritually as well that that parent has to stay centered mm-hmm. uh, and grounded in order to be open to what happens and that that can be very revealing uh, of the person the parent's own growth and and obstacles to that growth with him within himself or herself yeah I think openness is the best quality one can have in in facing this because if you're open you know you're really listening and you'll know what to say to your child too and you have to in just as I experienced it, I went into a mild shock when I realized Chase was talking about a past life memory. And a lot right. of parents are totally caught totally off guard. They have no idea what's going on. And that's why, you know, I hope that through TV and through media that parents are more exposed to this idea that this is, this is real, this is true, it's a natural phenomenon, it happens quite frequently, and just go with it. And And that... That's really important. It's a natural phenomenon. Right. It's it, uh, our, our range of what we think is natural has to expand right. in order to accommodate this. Right. Right. And yeah. that's what I mean, that it's growth for the parent as well. Absolutely. The parents are changed. Once they acknowledge what this is, they're not the same. Their worldview, they're, they have changes, complete paradigm shift. You know, where they acknowledge, well, if this is true, that means I've had other lives and, and I will continue on after death and I can come back and this is the way it works. And, uh, you know, I've seen it with a lot of parents. I mean, it really opens them up. And I think uh, the, the worst thing you can do is dismiss this in a child because then it will fester. You know, it's not gonna, exactly. it may not go away on its own. You know, it might develop into a more complicated complex as the child grows up, and I've seen that in my work as a past life therapist with adults, that if these issues are not addressed as they're coming up spontaneously in childhood, they become unconscious, but they still affect us throughout the lifespan. Right. Well, we have to take another break. You are listening to Explorations in Consciousness with Dr. Joe. I'm Dr. Joe Mancini. We'll be right back with more from my guest, Carol Bowman. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Have you thought that there may be more to your life than you know? Maybe you're puzzled by coincidences that seem to happen out of nowhere. Or possibly you have a sense of deja vu in a place you have never been before. What about those dreams that seem to materialize right before your eyes? or bring startling, clear images of loved ones who have passed over. These are only a few of the great many topics that you can find much more about by having a hypnotherapeutic session with Dr. Joe Mancini. Dr. Joe is a clinical hypnotherapist certified by many national and international hypnosis organizations specializing in spiritual hypnotherapy. Dr. Joe can help you discover much more of who you really are and why you came here this time around. Joe's clients repeatedly emphasize his vast spiritual knowledge, amazing skills, and great heart. 
He establishes a safe, caring environment in which individuals feel free to be all that they are. Call Joe at 301-526-2043 or reach him by email at soulserver at arrows.com to find out more. That's 301-526-2043 or by email at soul, S-R-V-R, at E-R-O-L-S dot com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. You are listening to Explorations in Consciousness with Dr. Joe. To reach Dr. Joe Mancini or his guest, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to soulserver at erols.com. That's soul, S-R-V-R, at erols, E-R-O-L-S, dot com. Now, back to Explorations in Consciousness. Welcome back, everyone. This is Joe Mancini hosting Explorations in Consciousness with Dr. Joe. And now we're talking with my guest, Carol Bowman, and we're going to focus on the topic of her last book, her second book. I think she's writing a third one. Um, And it's called Family Return, uh, the topic. So, Carol, would you tell us how that all began? Yeah, well, after writing the first book, I said, no way am I ever going to write another book. It's too difficult. But then I got a case from a mother in the Chicago area. By the, the mother, Kathy Luke, had, um, she was a teenage mother. She had a little boy who was diagnosed with neuroblastoma when he was about 17 months old. And he had multiple tumors on his left leg. He had a big tumor behind his left eye. Um, he had a big tumor behind his right ear that was biopsied, and he was in the hospital. They did all they could, and the doctors finally said, there's nothing more we can do, and she took him home, and he died. His name was um, James. He died at 22 months. Wow. Very um, sad. Horrible. The worst. So um, she um, ended up marrying a really wonderful man, she had a, a son, a daughter, and then this other child was born by C-section. And um, as she was coming out of the anesthesia, the doctors came in the room and said, we have some really bad news. It looks like your son is blind in his left eye. It's completely opaque, and the left side of his face was distended. And she said, please bring me my baby. And they brought him in, and this little baby, she could see his left eye was opaque, he had what looked like a tumor behind his right ear, and he had a big scar, what looked like a scar on his neck where all of these things were what were marks that James had had on his body at the time of his death. He had an IV inserted in his neck, which had left a big surgical scar. He had a big tumor behind his right ear. And rhetorically, she said to the doctors, how can this be? Because she realized, wait a minute, this this looks like what James had at the time of his death. 
And uh, she mentioned to, to the father of James, who she had been estranged from, and he said, you've lost your mind, you're crazy. But when, James, when her, the new child, whose name was Chad, turned four, he started talking about his other life. He talked about the apartment they lived in, asked for toys the other child had, and then went up to his 10-year-old brother and said, I was here before I got really sick and died, but now I'm back. <laughs> yeah, it's like the kid, his brother went screaming from the room. Um, but at this point, Kathy said, okay, this is confirmation. I know my son is back, but how can this be? She was raised as a fire and brimstone Baptist in Kentucky, and, you know, reincarnation was of the devil. So she really needed to talk to me. And I, we had a dialogue for about a year and a half, and she came to accept that this was true. And as she accepted it, the incredible grief that she had stored up for her first son started dissipating, and she was a lot more at peace. She was totally comforted knowing that her son was back. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it, you know, we both said it really is a miracle. You know, if you don't know this can happen, this is a miracle. So I said, yes. So I said to the heavens, okay, I'll write another book, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I'll make a deal with you. <laughs> you know, send me some cases. And, you know, and then all of a sudden I kept getting one incredible case after another of people who said, you know, is it possible this child, this new baby or this new toddler in our family could be my grandfather? He has the characteristics of my grandfather. He said things about grandfather's life. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So, <laughs> um, so that's why I wrote the second book called "Return from Heaven," and I found that um, there. You know, I said, "Okay, well, I have to explain this in the book." You know, reincarnation couldn't be random if we come back into the same family because what are the chances? Right. So exactly. I said, "Okay, so what? What are the attractors? What brings us back into the same family?" And I actually asked Dr. Stevenson because I was in the middle of writing a that book when I was in one of the investigations with him and he just looked at me and he said, isn't love enough? It's like, you know, I was not expecting that from him as a scientist, but mm-hmm. I think love brings us back on finished business. Sometimes the child, the, the relative is reborn into the family to keep the family together or, you know, to assuage some, the grief from sometimes a child will come back into the same family after dying. And that, to me, is the most amazing, profound um, experience with past lives and reincarnation. When you know that this this child you have is back, you know it's exactly. the same soul. You know it's going to be a little different, but it's same soul. And you know, the, it, it's so profound. I can't even put it into words. It's ineffable. It's it's a miracle. And, and some of the stories that you uh, quote in your book are beyond astounding, even more so, I think, for me anyway, mm-hmm. than the story you just told. Are there any others that come to mind that you can share with us? One that I've been working on that's going to be in my new book, if it ever gets finished, um, of this um, little boy in Georgia who remembers being his grandfather who died in a plane accident in North Carolina, and this was in the 80s. And the boy, I can't remember which year the boy was born. Like a, It was a few years after, and I found in a lot of these cases, and this is another point, p- 
people have a misconception thinking there has to be an intermission of like 100 years between rebirths. Um, not true at all. It can be less than nine months. Oh. Don't ask me how. I mean, you, you know, Jane Roberts can tell you how. Right. You know, with the oversoul. Um, right. But so we can come back very quickly. We can come back the same day. And you've had, you've had uh, case studies where that's happened the same day? Same where... day. Two, two cases of women giving birth to their, to, it happened to be their grandmothers who died earlier that day, unbeknownst to them because they were in labor. Wow. So, yeah, so that kind of really um, throws a monkey wrench into our understanding <laughs> in a sense. You know, it's like... You think, okay, well, it has to be at least nine months. Well, that's not true. But anyway, in these cases of same-family reincarnation, I found that someone can come back within a few years. So they can come back to the same mother if it's a child who is lost. And in this case, the the grandfather died in a, a plane accident, and the child remembered what happened. And he was telling his father, who was this the son of the one who died, you know, details of the plane crash, and uh, his father didn't want to believe in reincarnation, that his father could be back, but, you know, the evidence was overwhelming, and this child also liked the same activities as the grandfather, um, would often talk, he lived in not anywhere near a coast and talked about how much he liked to fish and boating, which the grandfather had totally enjoyed, that was his favorite thing. So, um it's just a case that shows like how much the characteristics carry over from one lifetime to another and how children can remember details of traumatic death and the fact that you can come back into the same family. I guess his father was the youngest of three or four children. I can't remember. And um, I think he just decided he wanted to come back to his son. <laughs> and you, there's one story... I don't remember all the de- details, but I probably it's, won't either. Yeah. Well, I think this this one is uh, typical of some uh, uh-huh. of the ones you've done, where a mother who was n- not the best mother to yeah. a daughter, right, um, died and was reborn as the daughter's daughter. And right. I'm a, I'm my own grandma. Yes. Uh huh. And what kind of effect is that? <laughs> <laughs> Has uh. What kind of effects do you see in the uh, in the daughter and then the daughter's daughter? Well, I got two two cases, similar cases, both from Canada, back to back. You know, it was kind of weird, but you know, sometimes things happen like that. Um, and both of the mothers had been abusive to their daughters. They were alcoholic. They one was drug dependent. I mean, they were just messed up people who had these daughters and they were very mean to them. And once, in both cases, once the mother figured out, oh, this is my mother reborn, I'm going to change the pattern. I'm going to be a good parent. They never, mm-hmm. my mother never had good parenting. So they could break the cycle for the child. And for succeeding incarnations as well. Right, exactly. And they that, got it. That is absolutely amazing. It uh, is amazing. And so, you know, I'll bet there's some listeners out there now that are saying, oh, wow, I wonder if my child is the uh, reincarnation of my parent. 
or, or a sister who died when she right. was young, or anything. You know, it can be any okay. any relationship, or even <laughs> I had a case where um, a woman's boyfriend who was killed in a motorcycle accident came back as her son. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that could make for some interesting dynamics. Um, well, one thing I want to ask you, we've have, we have about two minutes for you to answer. Uh, the phenomenon uh, that you recorded in a chapter called um, U-Turn in the Womb, mm-hmm. um, where a fetus decides not to come uh, into this life. Right. And just, we have about a minute now for that. Can you okay, just well, say something about that? Sure. I had cases of children remember being stillborn, being a miscarriage, and actually being aborted fetuses. And it, one thing I want to point out is that the incoming soul goes in and out of the fetal body. It's not necessarily fully integrated into the fetus until later in the pregnancy. Right. So the consciousness is going in and out of that body. And in some cases, the, the child, the, the present child said, well, I thought I wanted to come back as a boy and I changed my mind and I came back as a girl. Or I decided I wanted to wait. I wasn't ready to come back, which is often the case in miscarriage. So there is a soul agreement. The, the incoming soul has just as much um, control over that as a parent who decides, I can't have this child. I have six children. I can't have another child and has an abortion. And I think it's really important in cases like abortion to talk to the incoming soul and say, look, this is not a good time. In fact, I have part of that chapter is from a conversation with Dr. Gladys McGarry, who is an obstetrician, who is very spiritual. She was a, a follower of Edgar Cayce. And she would have mothers who were considering abortion dialogue with the incoming soul and sometimes they would have a spontaneous miscarriage. All right. Carol, I'm sorry I have to conclude this, uh, but thank you so much for your oh, personal welcome. stories and your personal expertise. Uh, I found your words and stories very illuminating, and I trust my audience did as well. This is Dr. Joe Mancini, your host for Explorations in Consciousness with Dr. Joe. Please tune in next week when I will have as my guest Greg McHugh, certified clinical hypnotherapist, who will share with us his new regression therapy that involves dealing sometimes with the negative effects of attached entities and also involves calling in spiritual resources for healing. May you all open to the peace of all that is in every moment of your life. Thank you for listening and a hearty good day to all of you. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to Explorations in Consciousness with Dr. Joe. Please join us again next Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. We'll offer another enlightening program next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.